Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. It's time to take a ride on the Steelers Afternoon Drive with our co-hosts, Alan Saunders and Zachary Smith. Welcome into another episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive, the very first episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive in 2024. I'm Zachary Smith. That is Alan Saunders. Alan, what's going on? It's a Steelers Afternoon flight for me. I am in Dallas. Um which is not at all on the way home from Seattle, but you know, that's how the airlines work sometimes. And so, yep. uh, yeah, if you've paid very close attention to the faces in the background here as uh, we're in uh, the terminal at DFW, you may see uh, Ray Fittipaldo and Jerry Dulac and Mike DeFabo. <laughs> we're on the same flight coming back here. So uh, been an interesting uh, couple hours as Mike Tomlin spoke to the media back in Pittsburgh, including Nick Farabaugh, while all of us were on our plane. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Lots to, lots lots of ground to cover uh, since the last time we talked on Friday, certainly. Yeah, well, obviously the game happening, but like even more than that, I feel like what kind of is stealing the spotlight from that game is the fact that we know that Mason Rudolph is going to start week 18 against the Baltimore Ravens, despite the fact that Kenny Pickett should be able to go in that one with where his health was at the end of the week. Now where it should be by the time that, by the way, playing on Saturday again. Uh, 4.30 p.m. kick on Saturday, Steelers and Ravens. But, Alan, what do we make to this decision by the, with the Steelers to stick by Mason Rudolph, 2-0 with him as the starter, looking for 3-0 in a must-have game if they want any shot at making the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I don't really uh, – I don't really – it's not what I would do. I, I think I understand the reasoning. I mean, you've had success with him. Um, sure. You want to reward success. I think he's played – well, I don't think he was as good against Seattle as he was against Cincinnati, but the, 
really, I mean, the, the running game was the dominant reason that the Steelers uh, were able to beat the Seahawks. But I, I thought he played a very competent game, and, and he's done well enough that the Steelers should feel good about their chances of him being able to go lead them to victory in Baltimore this, this weekend. Probably not, you know, I mean, any – differently than they would if they went with Kenny Pickett. But I think it's, I think I understand the reasons for the decision. Um, I, I don't, I still don't think that you're going anywhere with Mason Rudolph as your starting quarterback beyond whatever happens at the end of the season. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice to 2024 by leaving Kenny Pickett on the bench. But I understand why Mike Tomlin is making the decision that he's making. I think in the short term, it's exactly, at least for me, the part that you said first there in terms of rewarding the success of the team, not just himself, but also the team when you're 2-0 and with him as the starter. Like, I understand there's always going to be the investment that you put into a player that goes into decisions like that, even if you would like to say that there's not going to be, but you would like to think that from a player's perspective, hey, if I feel like I'm doing the right things, why should I have to, you know, then be benched? For doing that just because this guy was drafted higher they hope that he is part of the future we're in the right now so I, I i certainly like you get it from that perspective um yeah i'm i'm very interested to see how this week plays out now with everything like surrounding the team all the chatter around it this decision being made here very early in the week especially like i didn't even think about that like you know so many of the media members still on their way back from this game traveling to this game when this decision was announced so like you know, I, I'm very curious what the chatter around the team is like this week after this decision being made. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think, look, I mean, the team's 2-0 in the base. Rudolph, they were 7-2 and two when Kenny started and finished yeah. the game. It's not like they weren't winning with him or that they feel like they can't win with him. I asked three guys in the locker room after the game last night, different offensive players, one-on-one, um, -on -one, not with cameras around, just me and that guy. What's different about the offense mm. is Mason – what, why are they having success with Mason Rudolph in a way that they did not with Kenny Pickett? Because I think that's a big part of the story, right? I mean, I think Mason Rudolph has been good, but I think the, the, the whole offense is playing better, okay? And if those two things are linked, then I think the idea that Mason Rudolph should play, in my mind, becomes much stronger, right? If there's a, there's a link between Mason Rudolph playing and the rest of this offense playing, I mean, remember, think back three, four weeks ago. I mean, there was... Uh, this offense was in a bad place. I mean, we had deep, you know, conversations about George Pickens and the selfishness and Deontay Johnson and, and where things were going. And, and it, it seems like a lot of that noise has been quieted. Is that Mason Rudolph? I, and I really didn't get anyone to answer the question. No, nobody really said what's different or how it's different. You know, in fact, multiple guys said, no, they're the same guy. It's the same, it's the same, we, we, we don't, the, the difference is that we're playing better. Uh, several guys credited the offensive game planning of Mike Sullivan and Eddie Faulkner and said that it's gotten better. Deontay Johnson said they feel like these last two game plans have been their best two game plans of the season, and that's why they've had so much success. And I, from the outside looking in, kind of agree with that. I think it has been two and two very different game plans. You know, it's not like they are just spamming success, right? They came up with a way to beat the Bengals and then came up with a completely different way to beat the Seahawks, and I think that's that's notable. But no one is in the locker room is saying, heck yeah, Mason is the reason that we're being better and I want that guy to start now. Are they just being polite? I, you know, maybe. I, I don't know. But mm -hmm. um, I found it interesting that that was the response that I got to those questions. 
Yeah, you look at the surface numbers here for Mason Rudolph, 18 of 24 in this game, 274 yards, zero touchdowns. More importantly than that, zero picks, didn't turn the football over. Completion percentage above expected, though, 17.2% over expected, which is their second, obviously, to his game against Cincinnati just a couple weeks ago, and those are the two highest completion percentage above expected games by a Steelers quarterback this season. Um, yeah, I mean, also nine passes targeting outbreaking routes for 149 yards also on here i just figured i'd mention that because that's on the graphic as well um they but still it, do love just, their outbreakers huh it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't matter what changes right no candidate right. no picket it, it, it's just, just mm-hmm. the same offense right like they, they're still gonna do that one completion over 30 yards uh another over 25 and then a lot of Besides that, a lot of within the 10 to 15 yard range, other than ones kind of right around the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, I mean, not like a ton of deep shots. Obviously, we didn't expect that in this game. Obviously, the George Pickens great catch is the one that was over 30 in this one. Um, But it's interesting to me that you mentioned the offensive game plans, too, because as critical as we've been about, obviously, the quarterback play that we've seen all season, we were very critical of the offensive game plans that were being put together, not just by Matt Canada, but then when the the switch was made and we've seen Sullivan and Eddie Faulkner kind of co-putting this offense together, it hasn't been very good over that losing stretch uh so now these last two weeks maybe finding a rhythm and attacking defenses understanding is okay not like the same thing we have to find different ways to attack different defenses yeah i want to go back to rudolph one thing real quick i wrote last night yeah, go ahead. Site, um about why he's having success and, and i think you know not not taking into that greater part about the offense that i was talking about before but just about his quarterback play and why it's been uh, mm-hmm. both better than what he did in the past when he got the opportunity to and when um, Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky played this year. I feel like he's found the right balance of um, getting his playmakers and opportunities to make plays. You know, like I, I don't feel like this has been some kind of quarterbacking master class where like it's like Patrick Mahomes dragging like five terrible wide receivers to good numbers, right? Like he's just done enough to let Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and the rest of his playmakers make him look good. In fact, that was actually a direct quote from Deontay Johnson is that like, they feel like they've gotten in position to make plays and they've made them. And, uh, you know, I I don't think that was happening enough with Kenny Pickett where he was, I feel like being too conservative. I don't think he was taking enough chances to get the ball into his playmakers hands in position to make plays. On the other hand, I felt like Mitch Trubisky was too cavalier with the football, right? He he was you know, swung the needle too far the other way, where he was taking too many chances and turning the ball over. I feel like Rudolph has, again, two games, but found, done a really nice job of finding ways, just give him a chance. And, you know, like that mm-hmm. pass to George Pickens, thrown off his back foot, it's ugly, flying through the air. It's not particularly well targeted. He just put in a pl- spot where George had the chance to make a good play, and he did. And I think, um, you know, that's not to say that it's been like, oh, my God, he's just been so good. But, but it's certainly been good in a different way compared to what the Steelers had before in terms of the ability to give those guys a chance to make a play. And I don't think that's, you know, I did feel like Mike Tomlin was more aggressive in this game, you know, from the very beginning going forward on fourth down on the first drive. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that aggressiveness is part of an overall – shift in mindset of the offense of the team to say hey we just got to find a way to do this or if this is a difference between the, the individuals right it's you know it gets hard to separate the variables here 
And we also only have, you know, five, five and a half quarters of Kenny Pickett with Eddie Sullivan and uh, Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan. And, you know, one of those games was their first game on the job. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's hard to, to separate all these things and, and really find meaningful analysis to do. It's just a lot of, there's very small samples. We don't really know what's causing a lot of this stuff um, other than, and I think that's maybe the, the best argument for, well, okay, the only thing there is to do is to keep playing to find out, right? You're not never going to know unless you keep rolling the ball out there. Now they only have one more game guaranteed, but um, the more that Mason Rudolph plays and the more that Kenny Pickett plays, either way, really, we will continue to learn about why what's happened has happened and, and what are the root, you know, sort of inputs that, that are leading the Steelers to where they are. Just for me, and I'm reiterating what I said before, the big difference is, is if you get good play out of Kenny Pickett, it solves problems in a way that it does not solve if you get good play out of Mason Rudolph. About the scheme, though, man, this was a great game plan. Really, from the very beginning, came out in three tight ends under center. They, they, they announced to the world that they were going to run the ball. They still found a way to do it. And a completely different way to attack the Seattle team than the game plan. They unraveled last week, which I and, – and we talked about on this show. Were very, I, I was very complimentary to it. I thought they did an awesome job of outfoxing the Bengals. And um, this time it was more about – out executing than I think it was necessarily fooling Seattle. They didn't really fool anybody. They pretty much announced what they were going to do on every play, and then they went ahead and found a way to do it anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, big credit to the offensive line and their play, which I think was by far their best game. Um, but you know, I, I just think a, a lot of credit to Sullivan and Faulkner for realizing that you need to have multiple ways to win. Um, you know, for an offense that has been very stagnant. All season, I think it would be very easy to have success with one game plan, like they did against Cincinnati, and really latch onto that and not want to let it go. It, yeah. Right? Like, like, oh, this is this works. Let's do it again. And I, th- I give them a lot of credit for really from the very beginning of the game. Again, okay, that worked last week. We're doing something else this week anyway, and and that something else worked really well. Uh, yeah, and, and the other part of it is execution, right? I mean, you know, the offensive line, like you just mentioned, thought they had their best day. George Pickens was very good. Mason was good. The running backs, Najee Harris in particular, I know that it wasn't his, you know, most yards above expected he's had in his career. I don't know if I've ever been more impressed watching him run, though, than I was yesterday. 94% of his yards were after contact. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and it was violent contact, and it was violent contact initiated by him. Mm-hmm. Um, he had another one of those uh, dribble stiff arms where he's dribbling. So did the guy. Warren, and it was Rekolin, and, and Warren did it to Quandre Diggs. Like these yeah. are not bad players; these are good mm-hmm. players. I felt like that was the game that really, to me, showed the value of having two good running backs. I'm not sure that you get that game if you're playing either one of those guys and running the ball that much with either one of them. I think the the one two punch. And the ability for Warren to be a little bit more explosive, but Harris to be, you know, that real power runner that makes you stack the box, that that makes you um, adjust as a defense and and get the tough yards and keep the offense on schedule. Yeah, I really thought it showed the 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 reason why two running backs are better than one. And you know, I think we the the fan base has kind of been caught up in one or the other there, and I think. Really, the right answer has been 
both. I think they could have done a better job over the course of the season and the way that they've deployed them. But mm-hmm. this was a game where you really had both guys on. And, and that's really why I think the, the run game it played as well as it did, is that you've got good blocking up front. And then you finally had a game where both running backs were really fielded. You know, we remember that Cleveland game, right, where it was like they ran the ball okay, but it was all Warren. And, and Harris, you know, didn't really hold up his end of the bargain. And we've had some other games that were the other way. But this one was really the first time where I felt like it didn't matter who they handed the ball off to. They were going to have success with it. And when you have that, man, I think it's really a force multiplier for the position. And I think that's why a lot of teams want to have two running backs. And I think the Steelers really showed their potential at that position. If they can keep blocking like that, man, those those guys were really something. Yeah, Najee, 27 carries, 122 yards, uh, two rushing touchdowns. Jalen Warren, 13 carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown as well. Um, and this was the matchup we were concerned about, right? Like, where the Steelers going to be able to get the ball rolling on the ground to be able to open things up for the passing game. Seattle's run defense, like, on the surface, the numbers aren't there, but they've been a lot better over the last month or so in terms of limiting that. Similarly to the Steelers, the way that the season has trended for their rush defense uh, and continuing to get better as the season goes on. And they really clamped down in the red zone, but, but the Steelers found a way to even finish off some drives in the red zone, obviously putting up 30 points again. Yeah, I mean, and, and on the ground again, right? I mean, Najee from the four, Najee from the nine, Jalen one from the 18. That's, you know, that that's that's big time. Um, you know, that's the way you have to beat the Seahawks because the way they're so aggressive on the outside, when space shrinks, like you're not going to get three guys in the, in the end zone um, against, you know, players like Witherspoon and Woolen and Diggs. Like those are those are quality guys. Like you, you have to find a way to do what the Steelers did to them. And, and I think that's, um, again, a huge credit to Sullivan and Faulkner, a huge credit to the offensive line. Man, how many how many games would have gone completely different if the Steelers had gotten that performance out of that offensive line more than once this year? I mean, it, it was – the pass protection was very good too. Like Mason mm-hmm. Rudolph was – I mean, he was under pressure some, but, you know, he wasn't running for his life. He, he was standing in the pocket and, and – and it was there. Yeah, there were a couple ugly Mason Cole snaps, you know, as per the usual. But, like, other than that, I mean, I, I not even noticeable from him in terms of missed assignments or any issues with blocking. How about how about the game from Broderick Jones, too? You know, I thought he was yeah. he was a bully, man. When things got going forward in the running game, a couple pancakes. Um, Dan Moore really silenced Boye Moffat. I don't even remember hearing his name called. I uh, know. And that's uh, that, a matchup that was, I think that we were kind of worried about. That was a, a really strong performance of the offensive line. A one that if if you feel like if you'd gotten more of those over the course of the year, man, there'd be if you they would not be sweating things in week eighteen. Which for Broderick was very encouraging because things had really started to trend in the wrong direction lately. So, you know, maybe have that arrow pointing back up after this performance and hopefully he can stack another one against Baltimore. You know, he didn't have as tough of a matchup in pass protection as he has had and or, mm-hmm. or as he will this coming week. But, man, the, the, the run game was a difference maker, and I thought he was good enough in pass pro and more. I thought really stepped up his game. Uh, and the guards have been good most of the year, but they were excellent. Dan Moore had a – was like, it was like a normal – it was like a four- or five-yard game from Harris at the middle. Moore had two guys. He's blocking one with his left hand, one with his right hand, and driving him forward. I'm like, where has this guy been all year? Like, this is impressive stuff. This is a guy that everybody wanted to have on the bench. And I'm not saying the people are wrong to say that because he had not been playing well. Then all of a sudden he comes out with this kind of game. Uh, it, it, it's a difference, man. 
Sure. Um, was there anything else offensively that you wanted to touch on before we switched to the other side of the ball? No, you know, I don't think um, – I think we hit all the the big talking points. You know, the one thing that I'm, I'm curious about and that I'm going to write about today is I don't really understand why Kenny Pickett didn't dress in this game. And Mike Tomlin has done nothing to explain it, and there's now been chatter that uh, Kenny refused to play as a backup. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's – I can't confirm that. I, I've not heard that from not even one person. I've reached out to Pickett's agent, and he has not gotten back to me. Um, that would generally be the person that I would think would want to say so if it wasn't true. Um, mm-hmm. So – it certainly it doesn't make any sense from a team perspective to not make him the third quarterback. There's literally no downside to it. You don't get to dress another player instead of the third quarterback. Mike Tomlin's explanation made zero sense. He said, oh, because he didn't play, I didn't think it was a good idea. I'm like, what? Do you think Connor Hayward playing quarterback is a better idea if you get to that point? Like, like come right. on. Like, that's just stupid. So um, the only – real options that make any sense are that Pickett didn't want to or he is being punished for something by the team, right? I mean, that's all I can come up with that, that really um, makes any sense to me. And so um, obviously I understand given either of those potential options, why they're being cagey about it, but something definitely doesn't add up there. And man, like, can you imagine what had happened if like, even for one or two plays that the Steelers we're down to their third quarterback. Kenny Pickett was not dressed for that game, was not able to go in. They had to run some plays with a non-quarterback at quarterback, and then it comes out later that he was healthy enough to play. Like, come on, man. Like, so, yeah. something not right there. And, you know, I have not seen anything from any of the way that the Steelers have handled this process that makes me feel like they are out on Kenny Pickett's future. But him refusing to dress as a backup would feel like one of those things to me. I agree. And, you know, I was very confused yesterday. And I was like, you know, maybe once Tomlin speaks, we'll get a little bit more clarity on it. No, I'm way more confused today than I than I was yesterday now. No, he said the same thing twice. So at least he's consistent. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense what he's saying. There's no, there's no amount of reps that he could take or not take that would convince me that a medically cleared Kenny Pickett would not, at the very worst, be the third option for the team to play a quarterback. Like there, There's just no chance that anything else mm-hmm. could possibly be true. And so, uh, obviously, the answer we got was a lie. I don't know what the truth is. Um, I'm trying to find out, but uh, I, I think what has been said is certainly a plausible answer to that question. Yeah. And I, and I think if it's, if it's true, it brings up real questions about how you move forward. And that's why that, that right there, I didn't know if we were going to talk about that at all in this episode, is why I mentioned I'm so like intrigued by the way that this week is going to play out. Like, there's more come out about this at some point throughout the week that gets discussed and somebody has to answer on. I feel like we're destined for another week of quarterback talk there, Smitty. I, oh, no man. matter how much we try to, to avoid it. But look, I mean, if you yeah. refuse to dress as if he refused to dress as a backup, then that means that yeah. the next thing we're going to hear from Kenny Pickett is a trade request. I mean, there's no going back from that. Like, you can't just tell the team you're not going to play and then, and then come. Like, that doesn't work. That's that's not it's not a part of this process. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're headed if that's true. We've 
maybe more so jokingly talked about the idea of what like his trade value would be. But like, what if we actually get to that point and we were just ahead of the game? Uh, I mean, if it's him demanding the trade, I don't know that there's much of any, like, because then the Steelers don't have a lot of leverage. I mean, I I don't know. I thought it was kind of pie in the sky before for different reasons, because I didn't think the Steelers would want to. Now I think it's kind of pie in the sky because that guy demanding a trade is going to be worth what exactly? I don't know. Maybe you get, something for him, but it's not going to be some kind of impressive haul because the leverage is going to be minimal if you have a disgruntled player who's refusing to play on your roster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alan, the matchup that kind of we all had circled and players in this matchup did as well, Joey Porter Jr. versus DK Metcalf. We got a lot of it uh, in this game. How did you think it went from both sides? Well, Joey... uh, Got his first real butt whipping at the NFL level. I thought DK Metcalf was open most of the game, and I thought that Seattle didn't do enough of a job of making him a winning factor for them because I feel like he could have been. Um, Joey will learn, and DK is really good, but I, I thought that was the one part of the game that you could sort of demonstratively say tilted towards Seattle. Yeah, um, so from Next Gen Stats, Joey Porter Jr. lined across from DK Metcalf on 26 of the 32 routes, his six-time shadow shadow coverage game since week seven. Metcalf caught three of the six targets for 86 yards, the first wide receiver to gain over 40 yards versus Porter in coverage this season. Now, I will say this. That's a tough matchup. A lot of teams are not going to put a cornerback one-on-one against DK Metcalf all game and be like, mm-hmm. do your best. However, um, did we hear Tyler Lockett's name called once? Uh, there was that one that he got popped on that kind of came out of his hands. I don't recall uh, a whole lot other than that. he had one catch for 10 yards. So I think the Steelers and, and Smith and Jake were one catch. One for 12. Yeah, it was touchdown. But, the, the touchdown, yeah. but the play, the Porter's not in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's very clear to me that, well, yes, Joey kind of got cooked a couple times. The Steelers were giving him a knowingly difficult assignment and taking care of business everywhere else. And they did that. And that's why I felt like Seattle didn't do a good enough job of recognizing what was happening and doing more to get the ball to Metcalf as a result of it, because the other guys weren't that open. You know, they, they the Steelers were doing a good job of taking the other two receivers away. That is it. We talked about, but that is a talented group of receivers. It is hard to mm-hmm. take all three of them away. The Steelers, did a pretty good job on two of the three and left Joey with a tough assignment. And I don't say he won it, but I, he said he did enough for the team to win. And I think that's, you know, he gets credit for that, but it, it's, a, you know, that, that's, that's a difficult job. There's not too many corners that you just be like, go take care of DK Metcalf. And they're like, no problem. Got it boss. Anything else you need to do on the way? Like, come on. Like <laughs> well, sure. And how different the, is that? The way the league di- works. How different is this if Minka Fitzpatrick is available, you know, to help yeah, him out? Right. Like, Probably very different, right? You don't feel like you need to expend so many resources on guarding those other guys. Well, maybe you could give Joey some help every once in a while and keep things a little bit more, you know, reasonable. Also, you know, it gives you the option of playing Patrick Peterson against that cap and not making Porter take every single rep against a big physical guy who will wear mm-hmm. you down over the course of the game, you know, they, they – he is, even though Joey's a big corner, he's the smaller of those two players. You know, no question. Yeah, you like to see in the run game when he was getting his hands on him and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, he'll yeah, beat like you up just, too. Just, just the idea of giving Porter a few plays off would have been beneficial, but they really had, I mean, 
James mm-hmm. Pierre was was the depth. I mean, that's that's not that's not the matchup you want right. either. I feel like that kind of flew under the radar, you know, Lockett and Smith and Jake, but only having a combined two catches in this game. I mean, obviously the execution has to be in there, but we gave a ton of credit to the offensive game plan. How much credit should Tara Austin get to, for what the Steelers were able to do defensively against the Seahawks team? Well, I don't know. They, I, think, I felt like they really did a good job of not letting big plays get to them. They gave up big plays to McGaff and to Fant and Gino running and Kenneth Walker. Um, but they did a pretty good job of minimizing the impact that held them to field goals in the second half. They didn't have those like big, you know, bold three and outs that they did on the first drive, and then I, I think that was the last one. But they were just able to, to do enough on a game where your offense is running the ball so well. You know, you feel good about winning the time of possession game. You feel good about winning the field position game. If you can get field goals, like, you can win those games. So I, it wasn't like a dominant defensive performance, but I felt like. Now, given the personnel, they did a good enough job, and um, you know, there's still obviously a lot to clean up from what happened on defense. But I just think so much of it is how much can you do with the guys that are left. And to your point about the Metcalf thing, and then I'll tie in this too. Maybe it was more of the Seahawks doing them a favor with what they were doing offensively. I mean, only 12 combined carries between Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, Walker got banged up. He missed a bunch of time in the second half, and I'm not sure he was. 100% when he came back. Um, the other thing I felt like the Steelers didn't really blitz Geno Smith very much at all. They just ran four rushers, and I felt like that got a little predictable uh, by the end of the game, where Smith was really pretty confident where the rush was coming from, and, and you know, that, that he was able to, you know, like when you have a rookie quarterback in there, like sometimes four guys can still fool him. Geno Smith's not going to be fooled. Like, he, he knows where the four guys are coming from. He knows how to make his adjustments to get the guys he needs to in the right spot to block them to make sure that he can throw the ball he wants to throw. And I thought he did a good job of that. I didn't think the Steelers really attacked him enough. Um, but, again, if you're going to blitz, you're going to leave yourself short on the back end somewhere. And I just felt like they were – it was almost like a very conservative defensive game plan that worked, but only barely. Uh, if there's something else you wanted to touch on, we definitely can. But I wanted to bring up one guy for sure who made a massive play in this game, has made the most of his opportunities, Nick Herbig. I'm not so they still only win this game by one possession. But that to me, when that happened, I was like, okay, that's that's ball game off of that fumble recovery, strip sack fumble recovery. Um, how have you felt like they've kind of brought him along? Obviously, the opportunities aren't going to be a plenty when you're talking about playing behind TJ Watt now it's High Smith, but just like like I said, every time he's on the field, he seems to make a play. Yeah, I thought that. Honestly, like I didn't think Watt and Highsmith were very good in this game compared to how good they can be. TJ was complaining about getting held a lot. I saw at least one that definitely was that they got hurt on. Um, but I felt like mm, they, yeah. they were not really able to make their usual amount of impact. Um, maybe that was the lack of blitzing or, or whatever, but I was having that thought throughout the game. And then Herbig comes in and does that on one of his very few snaps. And I, I feel like at that point, that thought's confirmed, right? That, like Maybe that wasn't a great game. 1956, if Herbie was able to come in and in such a limited playing time make that kind of impact, I knew at halftime in a game with no turnovers, the first one was going to be big, right? It had been back and forth. Still didn't punt until almost the fourth quarter. You know, it was just like drive, drive, back and forth. Um, and, and you knew that the first turnover was going to be a huge play in the game, and it was. And like you said, uh, completely changed the complexion of the whole rest of the game after that. It went from to a game the Steelers were kind of holding on to a game that they were really in full control of. 
Uh, and to your point, though, about Watton Highsmith, how about this? Even the other guy, Marcus Golden, six pass rush wraps, three QB hits in this one. So, you know, he was getting there. Yes, although one of his QB hits was on the play that Herbert got the sack. Of him, so oh, how okay. that works. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was a good game from Golden. And yeah, I didn't think that, that uh, the other two guys were at their best. Um, Especially also considering it was a pretty beat up Seattle offensive line, right? They came in mm-hmm. missing one guy that lose Abe Lucas during the game. They lost center Evan Brown during the game. So they were down three starters on that Seattle offensive line where it felt like, um, you know, Geno Smith did a good job of getting rid of the ball, but I feel like I have higher expectations for the Steelers edge rushers than what they brought to the table. But they did an okay job with Walker, especially in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, Alan, anything else? No, I, I, I don't uh, have anything else. Um, I'll get back home tonight, and we'll do this again tomorrow on a Tuesday that's a Wednesday now because apparently Sunday games <laughs> are like just a, a rare yeah. luxury that we Thing are the past. able to be afforded once or twice a season. You know, we just everything's off. Yeah. Hey, the Steelers have wins on four different days of the week this year. That's pretty cool to be able to say. They are one and one on Saturday, so. This will be the this will be the this is the tiebreaker in rubber match. Days. Yes. Yeah. All right, Alan. Tell the people where they can find you. Other than at Saunders, yeah, Dallas Airport. <laughs> so, so, if you would like to welcome me into Pittsburgh, that would be fine. Although I may get there before this fully airs. Uh, but uh, yeah, a Saunders underscore PGH on Twitter, PGH Steelers now, SteelersNow.com. and uh, yeah, that's it. There we go. Like, subscribe, hit that notification bell here. Hit us in the comments, anything that we talked about, anything you would like to hear us talk about on the next episode. Leave us a five-star review if you're listening somewhere else. I'm Zachary Smith, PGH, for Alan Saunders and myself. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, thanks for jumping in. Take another ride on the Steelers afternoon drive. This episode is made possible by PWC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.